Um, so we're all here at meetings called order. Have a quorum. Have a, uh, have a quorum. So, uh, well, should we develop a consent agenda? And uh, so everybody had a few moments to think about it. So, items for separation would be, what would you like separation on? And we do have registrants supporting and available to answer questions on item 19, only to answer questions, and uh, wishing to speak on 22. So we'll clearly uh, take out 22. Any other items for separation besides 22? Alderman Brevere. Thank you, Mayor. I'd like to separate and be able to answer questions on items 11, 12, and 13, and 21. 11, 12, 13, 21. Thank okay. you. Uh, Alderman Cheeks, you got those? Alderman Eskers? I'd like to separate items 18 and 20 as well, please. 18 and 20. Thank you. Alderman DeMarv? Item 14, please. Item 14. So we have separation on 11, 12, 13, 14, 18, 20, 21, and 22. Any others? Seeing none, then, could we have a motion to suspend so we could take up uh, those other items? Alderman DeMarv? I'd like to move items one through... Suspension first oh. to take them. Oh, I'm sorry. I'd like to spend the rules to take up items 11, 12, 13, 14, 18, 20, 21, and 22. Okay, is there a second? Second. There is on suspension. All those in favor, aye. Aye. Opposed, no. Motion carries. All right, at this point then, uh, could we have a motion to adopt the balance of the agenda? like to move to adopt the balance of the agenda, items 1 through 10, items 15, 16, 17, and 19. Is there a second? Second. On the balance of the agenda, all those in favor, aye. 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 Opposed, no. Motion carries. So if you were here for items 1 through 10, 15 through 17, and 19, your items have been adopted. Have a good evening. Thank you very much. Uh, now we'll get to work. Uh, first item to take up here is item number 11. Is there a motion? Motion to move 11. Motion to adopt item 11. Is there a second? Second. There is. And discussion. Alderman Revere. Alderman Revere. Thank you. Do you know, is Dave coming as well, Mark? Oh, okay. So anyway, the reason I asked for separation on this was because there seems to be a bit of a trend that we've seen here at the Board of Estimates asking for the creation of new positions outside of the budget process. And one of the arguments that's now consistently being made is that the necessity of MUNIS or new ERP system is the rationale in part for why these new positions are needed. The last time this came up, I believe Mr. Schmidicki wasn't present at the meeting, so I was going to ask him to speak to this as well. So my main question is, when you look at the whereas clause, I don't know if if you drafted or Dave drafted, but the you know there is a clear whereas clause as well as in the HR memo that say that Tyler Technologies cashiering system uh, and Munis overall are part of the need for why at least the treasurer's office, maybe not the assessor's office, needs this position. Could you speak to that? 
please? Well, uh, or is that all really a question for Dave, and you can only speak to the well, I, the small percentage of time that this person would help assessor's office? Well, I'll, I'll try to to speak uh, on behalf of Dave as well. I, the way I understand it is there there's some um, time that's going to take to get up to speed with Munis, and that's part of it. But it's really a really a temporary thing. I my understanding is is the really the, the main reason for this position is is just the extra billing for water utility, the property tax for installment payments. That's where the, the real real need is. I, I didn't really think that Munis was much of a factor at all, really, in, in needing this position. Uh, I mean, maybe for a little while until things get up and running, but not, not for a very long term. Uh, and in the case of the work that they would do in your office, the LTE would do in your office, it has nothing to do with ERP system, I presume, correct? No, no, it doesn't. It's really, as I understood it, the argument is that it would save on sourcing out, contracting out, coding, scanning. Right. We've, we've been uh, we've had we have annual scanning of documents that we have to do. The Department of Revenue has requirements now that documents be electronic and be available, and so we're trying to comply with that. Um, for the last couple of years, we've been using money from our new software system fund, our CAMA system. And now that that's going to be up and running by the end of the year, um, this is this will save us from having to put money into the budget to, to hire outside to do that. Okay. Well, I appreciate that. Thank you. And the, you know, the, the information does state that the position would only be housed with you 30% of the time. Yes. So if I could ask... Uh, Mr. Schmidicke, Dave, you can probably guess what. It concerns me that we have a trend here. You know, police and fire were the other examples that come to mind. There might have even been a, another one that I missed where the rationale given outside the budget process is munis and that the extra workload is caused by munis. Mm -hmm. Is that a trend that you are concerned about, or do you see other agencies coming forward looking for additional Positions. I think definitely the um, you know the new system has a learning curve associated with it. I think uh, with both police, well, starting with police, my understanding is that most they had been contemplating an accountant position. They don't do not have an accountant position in police um, for a while now, and that that um, was associated with some of the complexity with the grants that they have, as well as um, the operations of the um, training center with Munis being a part of that, and the accountant position can definitely help with some of, of that issue. Uh, fire, again, was a similar sort of thing where I think they converted a, um, an hourly to a permanent position, um, again, so they could have somebody on, on board permanently working, some of it with Munis, some of it with other things. Um, this position, I think, uh, I think as um, Mark said, Again, it's been a learning curve with the cashiering. The agencies have to do more with the cashiering than what they used to have to do in the past, and that's meant that the treasurer's office has had to spend more time working with the agencies. We got the equipment uh, relatively late prior to the, um, the startup, uh, which has meant we've kind of had to phase it in over time. My understanding, though, is that most of this workload is because of um, uh, we haven't been able to transition as quickly to um, the electronic side of the monthly billing, so we have much more month, much more paper processing to do with the monthly billing for the water utility bills, as well as that sort of perfect storm of 
Munis with the four installments, which required additional work, and the, um, the fact that we just aren't as far along on the, on the electronic side of the, um, of the monthly billing. So I, I don't see a trend here. Is, is Munis requiring a change and a rethinking? Absolutely. That's what an ERP system does to mm -hmm. the business practices of an organization. So I appreciate your assurances that we hopefully won't see more of these see, in, I mean, you know, in the budget <laughs> time that we likewise won't hear that Munis is the rationale, at least in part, for more positions. We may, we may hear more, but we're, we're doing what we can. So Thank you. Mm -hmm. For the discussion on the question, which is adoption, Alderman DeMar. Uh, for Mr. Schmidtke as well, um, having some experience with implementing ERP systems and the, what that does to the data that you can get back and the analysis that can be done. Generally, my experience has been that um, more entry-level work is not as much because of that. Mm -hmm. But when I ask that question to police mm -hmm. specifically, mm -hmm. you know, that would this just be a, a sw no no added full-time equivalent, but just a switch in what they'd be doing, I was told no, that they didn't have any savings um, in time, but they had, as I would expect, they had more higher level work that now could be done because of the data that they were receiving. How would you respond to that? Well, you know, the answer I've given to that question is we moved from a system that we called SXD, which was sort of a basic financial accounting system when you get right down to it, to an enterprise resource planning system, which is what Munis is. And in order to have the capabilities that you're talking about, a lot more data has to go into the system that typically hadn't been put into the system, had resided in other databases, Excel spreadsheets, access databases, and so on. And so that is a change in how we do things. And I think the other thing to keep in mind is we, have, we haven't even gone through an entire cycle with Munis, an entire fiscal year. A lot of what we're doing now will result in work that won't have to be done at year end by both the agencies um, and finance. So there definitely is a lot to work through. I don't want to discount that. It's a major, major undertaking, a lot of change um, um, with uh, – uh, with what the agency has have to do, um, with what finance has to do, with what we have to do in budget, um, so it's a, it's definitely a process. So, when the the plan was for the ERP system, was there also a plan put in place for more employees? There was no plan for more employees, as far as I um, can tell. I mean, I think we have done the best we can with the resources um, made available. I think the city made a decision, you know, many years ago when it put this project together to, to do a certain tier worth of system and to do it for a certain cost, and we have done our best to stay within that. Um, but uh, it, you know, it's definitely a challenge. It's required a lot of work by finance staff, by the agencies, and so on, and we continue to, you know, look at what some of the what some of the effects are, and we continue to implement it when you get right down to it. We still we're waiting to get what is the budget going to look like, and we're working with the vendor on that. So um, I think we have to kind of work through it, you know, a couple cycles and, and see what happens as, as we move along. And some of the agencies are reacting. Um, some, some of them are rolling out plans for additional staff that uh, they've had in place for a while now. So 
and some of this is being affected by the perfect storm of other things that have to happen as well at the same time, new ideas around for installment property tax payments that are also happening at the same time. So. And the reason I bring that up, of course, is the constraints we have on the budget. So Absolutely. these employees are forever, you know, um, more in our budget. And so I just want people to be aware that every time we approve something ever so needed, that it's not just for this year. So thank you. Further discussion? Seeing none on item 11, motions to adapt. All those in favor, aye. Aye. Opposed, no. Motion carries. Item 12, amending section 3.5 of the general ordinances to clarify vacation time paid for the mayor. Is there a motion? Move adoption of item 12. Second. Second. Motion is second. Can I just explain a couple of things here uh, since I'm responsible for the chaos? Yes. Uh, (laughs) Item 1. It was my intention that this would be for some mayor who would succeed me. Uh, wouldn't anticipate this coming into effect during this tenure or any other. Secondly, uh, it was a modest attempt in my mind to try to bring the position of mayor uh, within the, the city structure closer to the responsibilities of someone who is supervising department division heads in a workforce of close to 3,000. Um, the uh, that that the mayor will never get to the stature of a department head in regards to compensation um, but I was just trying to make that effort at this point to quote uh, Alderman King this is not a hill I want to die on Uh, the council is not interested fine um, but it was just that modest effort. Discussion, Alderman Dumarp. Thank you. Hi. Hi. Thank you for stepping right up. As <laughs> though <laughs> so you knew I would have questions for you. Could could you describe for the Board of Estimates the process that you went through? Sure. Um, this had actually been on my radar and probably HR's radar for over a year now. Um, Generally, when I see things that are sort of not where they should be or they could live somewhere else better, I try and make a note of those things. So when you look at this, this talks about the mayoral vacation provided in Section 3.326. And, you know, frequently you were asked to give legal opinions. I, I go to that section, and it starts off with, Vacation eligibility, all city employees who complete a probationary period. The mayor does not complete a probationary period. This applies to regular city employees. Myself, who's Comp Group 18, this would apply to me. Um, It does not apply to our department and division heads because they have a written employment agreement with the city. not really apply to the mayor. Um, You go over to the vacation schedule and it's completing one year of service, three years, seven years of service, that doesn't jive so much with the terms an elected mayor would have. So, you know, this has been on our radar for a while, and unfortunately, and I have to take responsibility for this, I thought before we got into another election cycle where we 
didn't even have nominees at the point. We didn't have anything at this point. Um, but a new mayor would be sworn in this year that this would be a good time to clean it up and to put it in the section with the mayor. Now, the reason we had the 20 and the 25 days, quite frankly, I again have to take responsibility. Um, what we do normally in HR and when we look at positions, we look at comparables. Who Who is comparable? Um, in this particular case, the mayor being the department and division head of the city, comparable to a department and division head. Um, amount of time for department and division head for vacation under their contract. That's, that's quite common for what they get. So that's why that was selected. And then the credited but unused vacation, that was already part of 3.326. And my understanding is previous mayors had had that vacation carryover. I think former Mayor um, Bauman and former Mayor Cheslevich. Um, and former Mayor Soglin. And former <laughs> Mayor Soglin, yes. So th that is why we, we drafted it the way we did and um, had it that way. <coughs> Just a follow-up question. There has been some question as to an increase in compensation, that this would give the mayor an increase of compensation without going through the Board of Estimates and Council. Um, could you respond to sure. that? Sure. Um, there is a state statute that sets out the compensation for the mayor and provides um, that you cannot change compensation prior to an election year. Obviously, you don't want a mayor getting in and then changing his compensation. That section, um, it's state statute 6209, is reflected in the of the mayor section salary where it sets out the effective term and how his salary is calculated. A lot of times in HR world, uh, when you say salary, it'll be your actual salary plus the value of your benefits equals compensation. Um, in the particular state statute, however, when they talk about compensation, they have specifically said that compensation means a salary and only a salary. Um, the state statute does not contemplate that benefits, which vacation would be, are part of a mayor's compensation. Uh, so the way we read it, we could go ahead and do the ordinance without being in violation of state statute. Okay. And then just one final question. Sure. Um, does this clean this up? It does. It does clean it up. Re regardless of the number of days, it probably would be better to come out of the regular employee and go into the mayor section. Okay. Thank you. That's all the questions mm -hmm. I have. Further discussion? Questions? Motion before us is adoption. On the question, all those in favor, aye. 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 Opposed, no. Motion carries. Thank you. Item 13, a substitute authorizing the section of a portion of Census Tract 20 as the focus for a concentration neighborhood planning process. Is there a motion? Move to approve item 13. Is there a second? Discussion? Alderman Brevere. Thank you, Mayor. Just a, one question of staff. So, Jim, if you could explain something to me. My, my question is quite simple. We previously had this item before us at the Board of Estimates in March, and normally when there's a substitute, we don't see it a second time necessarily. We just 
wait until the council floor. Is there something I'm missing? It seemed like the only change in what the BOE previously recommended adoption of in this version is the uh, makeup of the committee. There's a, a minor adjustment to the boundaries of the of the neighborhood, um, the makeup of the committee, and I think the name of the of the neighborhood is identified. So, um, yeah, nothing uh, from a financial perspective has changed. What? Oh, okay. So I think I can help. You. Mike can help. Us. I think I can help <laughs> you answer this. Back here. Okay. This. Um, uh, was already approved by BOE. It right. then went to Plan Commission, I think, and it was supposed to then go straight to the council, but Plan Commission sent it back to BOE, thinking BOE was the lead. And as of about Friday, the question was, okay, do we take it back and go back to Plan Commission and have them now send it to the council, or do we just let BOE pass it again and it will be on the council next week? And the thought was to try and clean it up and make it work the way it normally does was going to take longer than just having you guys vote on it again. So that's that's why it's that, back. That explains everything. But since you mentioned it, Jim, can you just explain what the geographic changes? Do you know? There's a <coughs> my understanding. There's a because um, I can I can just see that made here. to bring in a portion of the town of Blooming Grove. Oh, okay, and that's why the membership in the yes. committee now includes a representative from the town. That's right. Okay, thank you very much. Further discussion? Thank you, Mike. Thank you, Jim. On the question then, adoption. All those in favor, aye. 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 Opposed, no. Motion carries. Item 14, authorizing an allocation of up to 200000 in federal block grant funds to support Porchlight acquisition of property at 4130 Lean Road for the purpose of building 16 units of supportive permanent housing. Is there a motion? Move to approve 14. Is there a second? Second. There is discussion. Questions? Alderman DeMar. I have a question, or two questions, actually. The first question is for the purpose of discussion, could you please define permanent supportive housing? Permanent supportive housing is housing that is built to be very affordable, that is available to people with um, little or no income. In this case, um, most of these units are being targeted to uh, persons who are earning at or below 30% of the county median income. Um, and the essential um, additional component with permanent supportive housing is that uh, the, the provider or operator of those housing units provide support services um, designed to help make um, successful uh, the, the stays or the um, residences of those living in those units. And is this for single residents? These um, units are intended for single, and I, um, I'm not sure if they're single males, but single adults, yes. Okay. And then another question I have is, how is the siting for these developments done? Because when I looked at 4130 Lean Road, it wasn't residential at all. At least I didn't think so. thought it was more in a commercial part of town. So how, how, did, that, how did the siting of this particular proposal um, come forth? Well, the siting is... is one that's proposed by the developer, and <clears throat> so it, it was property that um, was identified and, and acquired by the developer. It's, um, I, I believe the zoning allows for residential development. It will require a conditional use permit. And so um, I, I, I think if you're asking if this was a location that was identified by the city or by the, the community development division, it was not. 
So it's a proposal and a, and a site brought to us by the developer. Uh, of course, my concern is is that this isn't a very friendly place to live. This isn't a neighborhood. This isn't um, housing that would be brought into a more residential setting. It's sort of set apart. And, you know, I'm just wondering about the, the feel for something like that. I guess, you know, just mentally, socially, how residents would feel living completely isolated from other people. I mean, I don't expect you to talk to how they would feel, but it's a concern of mine because they, it just doesn't seem to be a good site for housing. Well, I would make two points. One, um, I'm sure you know that the difficulty uh, there is in finding um, properties, especially affordable properties that are available um, to host um, projects like this, permanent supportive housing. So that's point one. Point two, this is a, a multi-use project. Um, so there are proposed to be as many as 21 units of permanent supportive housing, but um, other uses at that site uh, will support a commercial kitchen and, and porch lights, um, um, commercial kitchen that supports their, their porch light products operation currently um, working out of the Brook Street, um, their Brook Street property, but they've run out of space. Um, there will also be a warehouse component of this property, so there are multiple uses envisioned, um, one of which is housing. Okay. Mr. Mayor, would it be appropriate for me to ask Alder Cheeks if you would be comfortable speaking on how, I think it went to CDBG, how they felt about the siting of this? If he's, if he's comfortable speaking with it. If he wishes, Alderman Chief. No, he sits on that committee. Yeah, so CWG didn't have um, uh, much concern over the siting. Uh, the, as was mentioned, the multiple uses uh, was a thing. CWG, I think, thought of this project, and I don't want to speak for everyone, but I'll pretend to. Um, CWG thought of this as, as a multiple use project, um, and um, didn't have a concern over, over the housing that, that was articulated. Alderman DeMar, can I just address Absolutely. part of that? I, I assume that, for example, you're, you're concerned about past uh, decisions such as Owl Creek, where housing was put in mm -hmm. uh, without a bevy of essential services. And, isolation. and very isolated. In this instance, uh, I think there's some, some distinctions. Uh, the most important one is that this is not family housing. And so consequently, when we would envision a neighborhood, if there were children uh, in this particular area, yes, there would be problems. But this is for adults. And if you look at the services you would want for adults, uh, enough of them are available at this location, making it viable. I certainly would never recommend or support this if it was for uh, in this area for children but you know the zoning code has always envisioned that in certain commercial areas you could have a mix of commercial and utilize uh, housing as well thank you further discussion alderman cheeks yeah, one one thing that i re recall us bringing up was that um we value the fact that there was a bus stop right in front of there. It makes it practical for adults to be able to, to navigate the city. 
Alderman Herons. Um, <clears throat> this is actually less isolated than the major porch, porch light facility, which is in the parking lot of Walmart. Um, how is this housing, or is it different? It says permanent supportive housing. It's the same uh, language that's used in terms of the Rethke, uh development. How is this different or the same? Well, it's very much the same in, in terms of um, providing permanent housing for single adults and providing uh, some wraparound support services. Um, in this case, particularly focusing on employment opportunities, mm -hmm. both training and um, potentially permanent jobs at that commercial kitchen. Mm -hmm. Thanks. Further discussion? Seeing none, the question before us is adoption. All those in favor, aye. 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 Opposed, no. Motion carries. Item 18, authorizing temporary closure and private use of Olin Park's boat launch for Shake the Lake 2015. Is there a motion? Move item 18, or to adopt item 18. There is. A, is there a second? Second. There is. Discussion. Someone had a question on this? Yeah, I have a question. I wonder if there's any staff available to answer questions on this. Yay. Thank you. Just a quick question, because I've received questions from residents um, in the area about the necessity of closing for such a long period of time. I know the structure is a little bit different from Rhythm and Booms that closed the boat launch last year. So wondering if you can just speak to a brief summary of the closure. Is it really as, as brief as necessary and how that structure is going to work with the new plan for the firework launch? Gotcha. The, the first thing I would say is this closure will be a full closure for 11 days, which is more days of full closure than last year's event. That said, there are fewer days impacted, and we actually witnessed last year, even the days we were partially open, uh, it was a de facto closure, and that was for 15 days in the, under the prior agreement. We're hopeful that this new um, method of, of installing the barges that, there, that will be done this year with this event will prove to be a little quicker, mm -hmm. um, and they won't need 11 days in the future, uh, but this is a new method that they haven't done anywhere else yet, mm -hmm. uh, and the barges they're installing and actually have purchased are, are something that they haven't done uh, before, and they want to give themselves a little bit of a buffer. Mm -hmm. um, as far as the safety perimeter and the zone, that's really dictated by the uh, International Fire Code. Uh, once the explosives are on site, which will actually only be for about three or four days, uh, depending. Uh, so during that phase of period, or during that time, the organizers will have to have staff presence uh, 24 hours a day for those four days. Uh, prior to that, we worked with them to see if we could keep an access lane open, but honestly, um, we did that last year for five or six of those days, and it was very limited use and quite a bit of it extends the period of days impacted. Um, so that's that's the nature of the boat launch closure itself. And I'm hopeful that this year's event will show that it can be done faster and the next year we come back with like an eight or a nine day. But that's to be determined. And committing to that right now would be a, uh, sure. a challenge on their part and our part. Great. Thank you. Any other questions? Discussion? Seeing none on the question of adoption, all those in favor, aye. 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 Opposed, no. Motion carries. Item 20, extending life of tax incremental district number 33 for 12 months. Is there a motion? Move to adopt item 20. Second. Is there a second? There is. Um, I 
Did we? Yeah, we did. We did we pull nineteen? Yeah, Mr. Mayor, it was me again. <laughs> did we pull nine? We pulled nineteen, correct? No. 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 Mm -hmm. Not put on a twenty. But we've got eighteen. It's here to answer. Okay. Um, Tim, Dave, Jeff, we did adopt nineteen when we did the consent. So you're good with that? Staying for JDS. Staying for 22. Okay, great. Just want to make sure. Thank you. Um, where was I? Item 20. 20. Yeah, but what was going on? I've got a question. question. <laughs> thank you, Mr. Mayor. Alderman Eskers. I'm sorry. Uh, no problem. Um, thank you, Tim. A uh, couple quick questions, just about if this precedent. If this happened before. A um, little bit of the context. Um, this has not happened before in Madison. This is the first. Um, it, it, it's a, it takes advantage of a provision in state law that allows um, a municipality to keep a TIF district open for a year longer than it would otherwise be able to stay open for the sole purpose of um, using the proceeds um, that would be generated, the, the tax increment that would be generated from that TIF available to support affordable housing. So it's a strategy that um, in the past year or so, this, the city has, um, I think, gotten behind as a, as a financing source for its affordable housing initiative. And this is the first um, TIF or TID closure in the city that um, would invoke that provision. Each of them has to um, be the subject, be approved by the council through separate resolution. And, and so this resolution is intended to get that authorization to extend the life of this TIF district mm -hmm. by a year and um, harvest that increment for use for affordable housing. Great. So successful, in your opinion, successful example of using these funds? or I think it's a, a wonderful opportunity, a wonderful resource. Um, one of the, the attractive features about it is that unlike um, – the rest of the of the tax increments that are generated within TIF districts um, that have to be used within that district, mm -hmm. within the geographic boundaries of the district, these proceeds are available for use anywhere in the city. Um, so it's a it's a pretty powerful resource and one we're happy to I'm happy <coughs> to take advantage of. Yeah. Great. Thank you. Further questions? Discussion? Seeing none, thank you very much. All those in favor aye. 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 Opposed no. Motion carries. Item twenty one. The TIF staff quarterly update. Motion to accept the report. Move to accept the report. Is there a second? Second. Motion is second. Uh, should we call on Joe, or you want to start off with structuring some questions? Alderman Revere? No. Thank you, Mayor. I asked for separation of this uh, and warn Joe ahead of time because I thought, although his report is, I think, quite self-explanatory and, and well, well done, that for the new members of the council it might be helpful and educational to... Uh, speak, um, have Joe speak to the report. One area that in particular I think that would be helpful to highlight that might, new alders might not be aware of are the trio of underperforming TIDs that we have in the city and you know, so perhaps Joe if you could speak at least to that, I don't know if you plan to go through the entire memo or not but if you could give a little further explanation and highlight the underperforming TID issue and sure. remedial actions we've taken in the past and what your plan is yeah. for the future. Okay. Um, well, last year, council adopted a um, new policy 
and in that policy they required that at least quarterly staff would come to them with you know process on various TIF projects, excuse me, or um, districts that might be considered or are underway. Um, so we we will give you this periodically. Whether or not it will be exactly on the quarter or not really depends on whether or not we have enough items to bring before you. So and this report, as you can see, has a lot of stuff in it. Um, and the way it's broken down is uh, for the benefit of the new alders. Um, we will recount sort of the projects that have already been adopted uh, that are funded and maybe are under construction currently. So you can familiarize yourself with those previous decisions prior to your um, uh, coming on the council. And then those projects, which we call administration, those things that have to do with the actual administering of TIF districts and the financial performance of those districts. And the third area is anything that's sort of in the hopper, under discussion, uh, new types of projects uh, that might be happening. Some of these may actually come to fruition, some may not for various reasons, uh, but we will try to keep you abreast of all those of those developments uh, through this quarterly report. So that's basically the format of it and the reason why we do it. Um, there are some things that we probably won't be able to get into with some of the projects because they're still under consideration uh, and discussion, negotiation. So uh, the appropriate place to have those discussions is when we, we would have actually a project to bring before you. And it's kind of, um, as Alder Golden used to say, uh, it's soup now. And we would bring it in and, and say, here's the um, uh, here's the project as proposed, maybe in closed session, and talk about the various terms and conditions. Um, so there are some limits to you know what we can talk to on this report in some cases. Um, just going through the TIF funded projects, the Anchor Bank was probably the first uh, major project we've had in the square in quite some time, about four or five years, uh, that ended up being a 13.3 million dollar TIF loan to that project. Um, yeah, originally, the request was somewhere in the neighborhood of 33 million, so we did a very good job in negotiating um, uh, everybody involved to bring that into a, a more manageable number. And the project is underway. It will require the creation of a new TID, number 45, which you'll be seeing before you in the next couple of weeks. The process has just started. Um, and that, uh, upon the creation of that TID, then we can fund, actually, that's the mechanism to fund uh, the, the TIF loan. Uh, the AT&T building at 316 West Wash was the next project uh, toward the end of last year or, uh, that we brought forward. Uh, that was about a $2.8 million, or two point, no, $2 million loan um, to that particular project to renovate an existing building that had been reaching its obsolescence. Um, and that's one project that will also be included in the new TIF District 45. Now, as far as administration of TIF districts, uh, we have three underperforming TIDs, 38, 39, and 40, which were all created around the time, the right before the uh, recession hit. And the uh, aftermath of that event um, decreased the actual valuation of those districts such that they were below their original values. Uh, as you can see, TID 38, the entire base value of that district when we applied for the, the district's approval from the Department of Revenue was $54 million. Today it's valued at about $49 million. Now that loss of value means that no increment, no tax increment can actually flow 
to the city to recover debt. So that means it's in an upside-down position for the time being. Um, we haven't spent, uh, we, we do have some expenditures in TID 38, about $5 million. The um, staff has responded by last year by creating a donor recipient plan where we donate excess increment from TIF District 35 for the next five years so that we can recover some of that cost. Hopefully, in that period of time, the valuation will rise again and we'll start to have a positive tax increment that will start recovering the rest of it. So for TIP 38, that's the game plan. Uh, TIP 39 uh, is an industrial park out on the southeast side, um, which is um, actually was doing quite well until last year. It had a drop of about 1% when, for whatever reason. Um, it's not that much of a, a heartburn as far as staff is concerned. We think it may grow past that uh, with some developments that are being planned for that area. So that one we're just kind of keeping an eye on. We're not that worried about it because the differential isn't that large. Uh, TIP 40 is one that just hasn't had the luck. Uh, that's on the north side. It encompasses an area around Oscar Meyer and, and uh, North Point, uh, Northport Drive uh, and Sheridan uh, Avenue. Um, and that, or Sherman Avenue, I'm sorry, Sherman Avenue, and uh, that particular district just hasn't generated um, any um, very little positive increment during its lifetime. It has grown, but not enough to get to its pre-recession numbers. Uh, so our plan for that particular district, because we never really spent more than about 400000 in the district, uh, is to just do a one-time donation from TID District 41, which is doing quite well, on University Whitney. That's where the UW Clinic is, the new one with the apartments and all the commercial development. We're going to use a one-time donation from that, close that district, and then reevaluate next year um, um, how, what type of district to create in that area and what type of generators might exist. So that's something we'll probably be coming back to you in subsequent reports. Uh, about the game plan right now, that's a general idea of what we're going to do. Um, and well, I've gone this far. Any questions thus far? I've covered a bunch of stuff. Nothing? Okay. Um, we just talked about the TID 33 affordable housing extension. Uh, there may be a couple other of those coming down the road, not right away, but in a year or two we might see another. Yes? Where, where are the next ones? Uh, we anticipate one for TID 27 eventually, but it won't be for about another two years. Um, that would be a modest one. Thank you. And another possibility would be TID 32, which is State Street. But that, again, that's down the road once that one closes. Thank you. Um, potential new TIDs projects under discussion. We are considering for creation um, um, a number of areas for what we call speculative TIDs. Prior to this time, we haven't created commercial-based TIFs or um, uh, industrial-type TIFs that, where there's really no imminent development where you just sort of build it and they will come or create it and they will come. Um, we're going to look at a couple of areas possibly for the uh, creation of um, jobs-producing development in those areas. Right now we've been looking at University Research Park 1, Silicon Prairie, which on, is on the uh, West uh, Mineral Point Road and South Point Road. It's quite a ways out of town. Uh, 
um, and um, the Giolamas property, which is more or less near the, I think what the address there is, it's on Commercial Ave, I think, um, right on the border of Middleton. So we've looked at those areas. We're still considering um, for the creation of a speculative to that area. Um, Union Corners is probably what I've been spending most of my days and nights um, uh, looking at right now. We've received a six-phase TIF application. Um, the first phase of that is a 60,000-square-foot uh, medical clinic with UW Medical Foundation as the owner and, and financier of that particular um, uh, clinic. Um, it's the overall developer of the entire um, parcel, which is the Union Corners property that the city bought back in 2008 or so, um, is uh, Gorman and Company. Phase two is a proposed 102 units of market rate housing, uh, 28,000 square foot grocery. Phase three and four are going to be about 90 units of affordable housing. Uh, the project just received um, low-income housing tax credits from WIDA. Phase um, five is a 76-unit uh, market-rate housing project, and phase six is a very small rehab of a 5,500-square-foot building. Um, what the process will be with these projects uh, as they come forward, for instance, um, Union Corners, is we come before uh, the developer once we reach a an agreement with the developer on what the gap, the financing gap in the project is. We develop what's called a term sheet. Uh, the term sheet has all the terms and conditions that go um, precedent to the loan. Uh, it is literally cut and pasted into a funding resolution that comes before you. Uh, once we get through the term sheet, we introduce that resolution to council. It's referred to the Board of Estimates for consideration. Um, if there are exceptions to our TIF policy, uh, then it goes to closed session, uh, and the, the Board of Estimates at their discretion can call closed session on any TIF project they want. They can actually, if they want to talk about issues with it, they can do that. Um, so if it goes to that, then uh, there's a further discussion on the project. Once it's completed, it's then referred to the um, full council for adoption. Uh, so that's kind of how that particular process works. Right now, we're finishing up the application and gap analysis process. And once we get done with that, we'll be going right into the term sheet and then um, introducing a resolution to you for your consideration. Um, similarly, Royster Corners, which is a project at the former Royster Clark site on the north, was at the east side uh, off of, Mineral, of Cottage Grove Road, um, has uh, submitted a TIF application, which we're taking a look at. Um, and discussions will continue. I really don't have much to offer on that one yet because we're still looking at it. So I am available to answer any of your questions. I will be doing a, it sounds like I'm putting a pitch in for a Vegas show here. I will be Thursday nights. I will be appearing before you folks on Saturday. What is it, May something? 30th. 30th, 30th thank you. At least you know. My agent tells me nothing. Um, and we'll be providing a TIF 101 for, for those of you. I know I've thrown a lot of things out as part of this report, but um, uh, I can certainly enlighten you on more of these aspects of what's the importance of base value, et cetera, and what's the importance of tax increment, what is that, you know, those types of things. So this gives you kind of a feel. You get to know who I am and also what types of things you can expect as members of the Board of Estimates. I'm certainly here to answer any of your questions. Questions, please.
Alderman Aarons. Uh, you said there ex in regard to um, Union Corners that you, you're anticipating their exceptions to TIF policy being yes. proposed. What are some of those? Uh, the first one uh, was the uh, equity participation payment was in force. This is a strange one. Um, the law, the rules changed in TIF policy. Uh, at the time that the purchase and sale agreement went through, the equity participation payment was still in force. Um, TIF policy was then adopted, which eliminated the um, equity participation. For those of you that I don't know if you are aware of what, what equity participation is, it's the city would receive a percentage of the sale whenever a TIF funded project is sold by the developer to another party the city had a percentage formula where we would receive a um, sort of like an equity kicker you actually get another payment on top of the principal and interest payments mm -hmm. we would get on the loan um, that was quite onerous to developers for a long time and it was eliminated in 2014 uh, but at the time that this district this plan went through um, uh, for the Gorman project uh, of selling the property, that was still in force. So we're bringing it to you to just bring it to your attention um, and decide upon that exception, uh, whether or not that's um, something you want to proceed with. Uh, but that was brought to our attention by the you know, city attorney's office. So. so this project is sort of in two camps. So yeah, it was passing in the night. Post yeah, yeah, post-review, yeah. Mm -hmm. The other, um, the other um, policy uh, is that we um, ask for a personal guarantee um, on all our TIF loans, and this particular project is providing um, corporate guarantees, uh, wherein the um, LLC of each entity, of each phase, has a separate LLC, and that LLC provides a guarantee um, of the TIF repayment. Well, that's not letter for letter what the policy um, allows, so we have to bring it to your attention uh, in closed session for discussion. That's that. Okay. McKinney. Thank you, Mr. Mayor. Could you go to the section that says status and in the second paragraph where it, well, no, it's the first paragraph, and it says phase three and four were initially 82 units market rate housing, yes. but and it goes on to say will now be 90 units of affordable housing. Yes. Could you speak more about the affordable, it says market rate and then it says affordable housing. Could you okay. speak more to that um, for me, please? The developer had some uncertainty about whether or not tax credits would be available. It's a very competitive process. Um, and in light of some of the announcements the governor was making about merging WIDA with uh, Wisconsin Housing and Economic Development Authority, mm -hmm. sure. with um, Wisconsin Economic Development Corporation, surprised I remember those two things, um, that there was some concern about who would be underwriting these, and the developer had proposed to us that, you know what, it, the fallback position is this might be market rate housing, just because we can't get credits anymore. Um, as they went through their tax credit process, they discovered that they were a front runner and they got tax credits, um, much to their delight. So they submitted an amended application and said, okay, now we're going to do 90 units of housing. Uh, and the unit mixes are one, two, and three bedroom units, uh, ranging between 30% uh, area median income 
Um, I think it's 50 and 60 or something like that. There's a different mix in each one. Um, oh, I'm sure you're going to tell me it's a different number. <laughs> so they have units, market rate units, and market, yeah. units below 60%, units below 50%, and units below 30% of area median income. So there's a wide range of affordability, including market rate units in the development. Mm -hmm. And that will be spelled out in more detail as we... Yes. Along. Okay. yes. Thank you. Just for your information, the Community Development Division um, has committed funding through its affordable housing initiative to those affordable housing um, units uh, at the development union corners as well. And so there's detail in that funding commitment also. Thank you. Mm -hmm. I have a follow-up question. Thank you. So thank you for bringing this up. So if we're moving from 82 units to 90 units in the same amount of space, are we having more one-bedroom units, or how how does that work? Or is it maybe it's different space? Uh, it's different space. Okay. Um, some of the amenities, it's not that they're having less amenities or anything, but they're able to create uh, different types of units. In fact, I, this actually may change slightly in the next couple of weeks. There actually might be a few more units as part of it, but for the time being, 90 is the official number. Okay, We're actually great. talking to them about some additional units possibly. Okay. And then, um, I don't know, maybe this is for Natalie, maybe Jim, but I know that there are um, goals to increase affordable housing at different levels that the, the city has and has adopted. And so uh, will you be providing us with some sort of a tally mark on how we're doing, ex you know, compared to where we thought we would be? Because what we're hearing about tonight is, I think, three different proposals. So that's great. But, you know, how, how does that move us forward? We can provide that for you. The transactions that got uh, affordable housing credits haven't yet finished closing their financing. It generally takes nine months to a year to do that, and so we wouldn't, they're not finished and done yet. Um, I think we were looking at 200 units of um, affordable housing in a range below 60%, so some 30, some 50, some 60%, um, and then 50 units of permanent supported housing. What we have got, the developers that CDD, Community Development Division, was supporting are creating about 200 units of affordability plus another 50 units of market rate. So that accounts for about 250 apartments being developed under that tax credit program. And then I can assume that the three-bedroom units here, are, are there affordable units that are three-bedroom also? Yes. 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 And isn't there criteria because they would be considered family units, I would imagine. Yes. Yes. Um, I think they'd have to be. So it, there's criteria, isn't there, in order to qualify for the tax credits, like so far away from schools or, you know, near grocery, that sort of thing? So there's a variety of categories um, in the tax credits. When you apply, they score you, and one of those is a walkability score. And so to really um, score well enough to get credits, you have to score fairly high on those walkability standards. The Community Development Division's RFP for these affordable housing developments that we were looking to support in getting credits also had criteria about a distance from transportation, seven-day-a-week bus line, grocery, schools. Um, and so this 
development was within one of those areas that we um, showed as a high preference area, both because of how it would score with WIDA, but also how it would score with us. Thank you. Further questions? Seeing none, thank both of you thank very you. much. On the question discussion, I just can't resist Alderman DeMar pointing out that on all these various transportation scorings, public transit uh, and walkability with its components for pedestrians and for bicycles, overall throughout the city we do very well, exceptionally well, except for walkability uh, for pedestrians, which is downgraded because we've got so many areas of the city without sidewalks. <laughs> Discussion? Seeing none, all those in favor, aye. Aye. Opposed, no. Motion carries. That takes us to item 22, accepting report of the Judge Doyle negotiating team and directing uh, implementation of the report's recommendations. Is there a motion? Move to accept the report. Motion to accept. There is a second. There is. We have one registration from Deb Archer wishing to speak. Yes, sir. Yes, Alder. Alder if I may, earlier we didn't do um, disclosures, but I'd like to now. Yes, please. Um, so I just wanted to disclose that Mr. Kevin Conrad, who's here today, is a member of the over 50-person board of directors for my employer. Um, beyond this, uh, I don't have any other affiliation with him or exact science. So after seeking the consultation of the city attorney, I wanted to disclose that, but I'm not recusing myself. Very good. Thank you. Uh, Deb Archer, please. Good evening. Nice to see you all. Um, we're very excited at the Convention Visitors Bureau and the Sports Commission to see the uh, JDS conversation continuing. Very excited about this. Um, there, you have four proposals in front of you. All of them um, have a hotel component, which is obviously the piece that we're most um, interested in and we feel is very important. We know the city knows that's important also. Um, we also know that you're going to be asked to um, uh, begin negotiating with a single developer tonight, which also has a hotel uh, component to it. Very exciting proposal, um, potentially transformational for our city. Um, what I'm here today as the representative of the entity that really is responsible for bringing conventions, securing conventions and conferences for Monona Terrace is to just uh, underscore the importance of the hotel element of the JDS proposal. That um, other aspects of the uh, development suggestions um, don't necessarily take precedent over what was one of the primary reasons the Judge Doyle Square conversation began, which was to make sure a hotel was built to complement the Hilton and support Monona Terrace into the future. So uh, whatever developers you um, end up negotiating with, just um, please bear in mind that the hotel is critical. The size, the location, the scope, the type is really critical to the future of Monona Terrace. And our organization, as we were the last time, uh, look forward to being part of those conversations with the city staff and the developers and whatever we can bring forward to help you with those decisions, we are here to do so. So thank you. Uh, good luck. And again, we look forward to being part of that conversation. Thank you. Thank you. Any questions? Deb Seeing none, thank you very much. Um, should we proceed, George? Austin, do you want to take the lead here in terms of presentation? Uh, 
Well, good afternoon. Um, it's good to be back before the Board of Estimates on Judge Doyle Square and to the new members. Pleased uh, to meet all of you. Um, we've been here in past months with some complicated uh, recommendations and sets of issues. Tonight's is really very straightforward. We're not here to dig into the specifics of proposals in terms of the, the nuts and bolts of a negotiating strategy. Um, we're here basically to report just a couple things. Number one is that we did receive four proposals on May 1st, uh, the deadline for the response to the city's RFP that was uh, approved by the Common Council on February 5th uh, for its issuance. Um, the uh, negotiating team has had the opportunity to review those proposals uh, first very quickly on May 1st to make sure there was not any proprietary information that needed to be redacted before they were placed on the city's website and that determination was made and they were placed on the website for public viewing uh, before the end of the day on Friday May 1st and you were provided copies that day also. Uh, subsequently we reviewed to see whether or not the proposals that were submitted were complete um, and complied with the requirements of the RFP. And while the report does note that while there um, are different levels of detail in the proposals, uh, we believe, the negotiating team believes that they should be considered complete and in compliance with uh, the requested uh, uh, requirements in our, our RFP uh, that was due on May 1st. We also indicated to you in a memo on April 27th that our intent was to provide a report to you tonight to be able to understand what we received, were there any extraordinary issues, uh, because you never know what you're going to get, and so we wanted to be able to evaluate those. And um, based on the negotiating team's review, um, we felt as a team that the inclusion of the exact sciences corporate headquarters site and research facility in the, judge, uh, in the JDS development LLC proposal did represent a potentially extraordinary opportunity. Um, it has been in the city plans for decades to locate a significant employer in the downtown. Um, and this proposal on its face presents that potential opportunity to uh, keep a homegrown business in Madison, number two, to relocate it to the downtown and provide a significant level of uh, living wage jobs in the downtown in years to come. With that proposal from JDS Development and Exact Sciences came with it a, a couple of conditions uh, that are important to this discussion. Number one, that Exact Sciences is very desirous of being in a facility by July of 2017 and wants to make a setting decision in order to allow the planning to move forward on a site for its new corporate headquarters and research facility in June of 2017. 15 or by the end of next month. So the negotiating team coupled with the view that the opportunity that was presented is something that is extraordinary and the conditions under which exact sciences need wants to move to determine where they will locate their headquarters. The uh, negotiating team made eight recommendations to you. I'm not going to read them to you, but in essence that we immediately engage GDS development and exact sciences in an exclusive negotiation over a preliminary development agreement. All we're doing here is we're moving, we're recommending to you that we move that proposal to the front of the line. That we engage between now and your June 29th Board of Estimates to prepare a framework and a preliminary development agreement and bring back to you. They had 45 days, May 1 to June 15th, that's outside of that window, but lines up with your board meetings 
in June. I believe you meet the 8th and the 29th. There'll be action at that point, which I assume you'll also want to send to council for uh, affirmation. Uh, at that point, we would be prepared then to move, uh, if directed, to negotiating a final development agreement, which we would, we would be targeted to bring back on August 24th, your only meeting in, in August. And again, while outside the window presented in their proposal, nevertheless, it uh, is, I think, uh, responsive to the request that's been made in terms of exact sciences decision. To the extent we can't, with this uh, head of the line opportunity to, to figure out whether this proposal can be made real and, and doable, um, if that cannot be determined by June 29th, at your, uh, then we would recommend that the negotiating team then initiate a review of the remaining three proposals. So no one is being pushed out the door in this. It's a question of how do we proceed in a workmanlike manner to follow through on the opportunity that the negotiating team believes has been presented. And with that, I'll turn it over to any questions. Questions? Alderman Romo. So, um, George, what's the alternative? If, if, you, if you did all of them at the same time, how is that different than putting one at the head of the line? The, the main difference here is that for exact chances to locate downtown came with it certain timing aspects. The negotiating team isn't, will not be able to pursue the level of detail relative to four different proposals over the next 45 days and bring back a preliminary agreement. So we're, what we're basically saying, allow that process to determine whether the framework can be put together within the timeline requested by Exact Sciences and JDS development. That takes us to June 29th. If that's not possible, then we'll proceed with the balance of the proposals because at that point, Exact Sciences has told us they will go to some other site. Uh, and that, so we're, we're basically responding to the information provided to us and trying to accommodate a schedule that would at least understand this to the extent you want to move forward with it. Further questions? Discussion? Alderman Brevere. Thank you, Mayor. I actually do have a question or two for you, George, if I could start with that. You provided the board tonight, or one of your colleagues, Dave Schmidicki, did the, a letter from one of the four respondents. Yes. Is it, is it your, and for those that don't know what I'm referring to, it's a, um, a letter acknowledging that, that exact sciences, in essence, is a game changer and that they would be happy to work with Exact Sciences to bring their corporate headquarters to downtown Madison, specifically to, to Judge Doyle Square. Is it your understanding that um, Exact Sciences clearly and emphatically is only interested in working with one of the respondents at this point, and so that this likely is not an option? That is correct. And then my other question is a process one, uh, and that is, uh, do you and your colleagues on the negotiating team uh, intend to deviate at all from the kind of established negotiating uh, instructions that the council last provided you? And, and if not, when would be the appropriate time in the accelerated process if the, the board and the council go that way, which I certainly hope that we do? Uh, is there an appropriate time for the board of estimates and the entire council to have a, a discussion with you and your colleagues on the negotiating team in terms of how you would proceed to, with negotiations. 
First, the intent is to follow the program requirements section of the RFP that the council put together and included in the February 5th resolution. So there's no intent to deviate from that. To the extent, based on the negotiation, there are issues, as we've done in the past on this project, that the board needs to provide direction on. Um, we will bring that back to the board, and I believe in the meeting of June 8th would be the likely time to identify those. We'll have time to preliminarily go through um, the issues by that point, and I think to the extent there are things that need your attention, um, in terms of the earlier requirements and any variability in that, we would bring to your attention at that point. Tonight is not the time. No. Yes. Thank not, you. We have not done any of that work. There's a reason. Not that if you have a point that you want to make to reinforce any of that, that's fine. Thank you. Further questions? All in clear? I actually have a question for Deb Hart. It's okay to call her back up. Deb, could you talk about the hotel proposal specifically? Um, any or all of the four and whether they're um, meet the, the CVB's um, requests slash um, desires for uh, a hotel on the site to support Menor's Harris? Well, none of the proposals re, uh, reflect the recommendations that the studies the city commissioned in terms of um, a three to four hundred room hotel uh, uh, allowing uh, guaranteed commitment of a room additional room block of two hundred and fifty rooms, which is what we need to really optimize um, Menona Terrace. As someone told me, um, Menona Terrace is like a racehorse, and we sort of have it fenced in. And um, unless we really have that um, right hotel in the right place, the right size, we'll never really optimize that. And none of the proposals get there. Thank you. Okay. Other questions? Alderman Eskridge. Thank you. I don't know if perhaps this is a question for the city attorney. Um, I'm, well, I'm wondering about the RFP terms and if – I hear you when you say there's no deviation from the process and the terms, but something about it just makes me a little nervous. Um, so I wonder if you can speak more fully to that process for me. Sure. Uh, if you turn to page 12. Okay. You introduce yourself, Kevin. I don't know if the new elders I'm know. I'm Kevin Ramakrishna. I'm an assistant city attorney, and I'm on the negotiating team. Thank you. Sorry. So in the process... Um, what we've written in is that at any phase, the city reserves the right to terminate, suspend, or modify the selection process, reject any or all submittals, et cetera. So we've left ourselves a pretty wide range of options in case something like this happened, actually. Okay. Does that answer your question? Yeah. Mm -hmm. Good. Further questions? I have a question. Alder Warren McKinney, I'm sorry. Um, well, I appreciate the uh, the urgency of the full steam ahead. Um, as I read the proposals, one of the statements is um, the each proposal was complete with required detail in accordance to compliance. And when I read the uh, reports, the detail in terms of uh, minority commitments, it wasn't consistent in that, uh, so I'd like to speak to that as well. And um, the second is um, a uh, concern that, and I know that this has been discussed and discussed, but the opportunity for the board to really look at the four 
uh, proposals in its entirety and make some discussions related to that. That has not done fully to my satisfaction, and so I would hope that uh, the board does consider, consider that. Further discussion? Alderman Clare. If we're on to comments, I have a few. Please. Can I still Thank you. Well, literally, I guess. Um, I, I'm pretty excited about this proposal um, from JDS Development, and I want to caution, though, that I agree with um, Deb Archer's statements that it doesn't meet the, the requirements that were outlined originally for the reason that we started on this project in the first place. Um, which is the uh, hotel to address the needs of Monona Terrace and really grow the business at Monona Terrace. That said, um, none of the four really meet that, and it's because we didn't um, place those requirements in the RFP. So I think what, what we need to think about long term is that whichever proposal we accept here will not meet the long-term needs of Monona Terrace, and we still need to think about some other facility, clearly not on this site, um, that will address the hotel needs. Um, I'd be interested in hearing from Greg McPanners, and I'm sure we will at some point, um, his thoughts about whether this hotel will solve some at least very short-term problems um, that they have, uh, especially if the conference center component that's in the, the JDS proposal uh, is constructed and, and uh, um, is uh, with the um, amenities that Menorah Terrace needs, but um, we still need to look at where else uh, we might be able to put a hotel uh, that would become the headquarters hotel for Menorah Terrace. Um, the Hilton wasn't built to, to become that. Um, it's insufficient, and the hotel on this site uh, will be insufficient. So we just need to keep that in mind. Thank you. Okay, further questions? If not, we're in discussion. Discussion on the issue. The motion before us is the adoption of the recommendation. Alderman Verveer. Thank you. First, I guess a parliamentary inquiry, Mayor. I heard the motion that was made as simply being accepting the report of the negotiating team. Could we have clarification if that was the intent of the motion, or is the motion to adopt the resolution that in part accepts the negotiating team's report? I guess I'm asking the makers of the motion that. <laughs> so. Go ahead, Dave. So the um, I think the agenda item reads uh, directing the team to implement the recommendations, and those recommendations I think are included in a resolution that would be introduced by BOE and adopted by or considered by the council for adoption at um, next week's meeting. So was that council, if I could ask Mayor, the council leadership, was that the intent of the motion or not? That's the way I took the motion. Okay, good. Well, I'm hoping that's what the motion is. I just needed clarification. That's the way I took the motion. Because I heard the motion be simply accepting the report, not adopting the resolution. <coughs> that is what I said. Well, accepting the report includes the recommendation to adopt the resolution, so I take that with it. Could I ask the president what that's does fine make with me. I mean, I can restate it if that would be okay, clear. Great. Would you like me to do that? That'd be great. Okay. Thank you. 
Um, I would move to accept the report of the Judge Doyle Square Negotiating Team, directing the team to implement the report's recommendations. Is there any question about that? That's a Okay, thank you. That's the motion before us. Discussion. Okay, then if I could, thank you for clarifying that. I will say that if you look at the body of the resolution that's before us, then perhaps item three doesn't really fit with in the what might not be the appropriate language because it it states in the resolution that the BOE will do what we're doing now. Does that make sense? To, so item three might not be appropriate for a resolution considered by the council. And this resolution is going to the council and it more or less has the council do something that we're doing tonight on May 19th. Okay. Just want to, if people understand what I'm saying. And Dave, since, since, yeah, so David, do you want it, since you're the member of the team that's at the table, do you want it? Yeah, I'd like the city attorney's yeah, office. Yeah, the city attorney's office wrote the resolution. I think it was meant to be an intent. It's almost an existential question here that yeah, you're asking. Yeah. Um, because what you would do is if you approve this resolution, then you will, in fact, have reported your actions to the next Common Council meeting on May 19th with the recommendation that the council adopted. So whether you include, include that in the resolution itself or not, I think is sort of beside the point. So I, I, I can go either way on this, and I don't think it makes a big difference in terms of, of the meaning. It's more one of form. Mm -hmm. Thank you. Well, then, so I, this time we will be on the point of the merits of this. If I could just state what I think all of you know already, and that is I very much support us moving forward and trying to uh, um, cement a deal with Exact Sciences as a partner in JDS Development LLC to bring their corporate headquarters downtown under one roof. I do think, as I've been quoted uh, in the media, I suppose, saying, is that this is a game changer. So with apologies to my friends and those that I don't know that are among the other three respondents, I think we have no choice but to take advantage of the opportunity that's been presented to us thanks to Kevin Conroy and, and Exact Sciences to um, want to move their home to this block and, and the adjacent block, um, that being what we hope will be Judge Doyle Square. So I, I realize that this is difficult to, to believe that we're deviating from the process, although technically we said we can do whatever we want to do, of course, in the RFP that the previous council adopted. But I do think that that the times demand this and that it very much is warranted that we uh, direct our negotiating team to move forward with our previously established negotiating instructions that they will check back and speak with us about at our next Board of Estimates meeting in terms of the specifics of and talk about the specific issues that, that of which, of course, there are many and varied uh, at their negotiating table. But I, I think it would be a tremendous mistake for us to um, not take advantage of this opportunity that's presented itself uh, to us and, and keep exact sciences uh, in the city of Madison. Well, they partly aren't in the city now. They're in the town of Madison as well, but, but to, to ensure that they uh, remain in the city of Madison for the long term. And I would greatly encourage my colleagues to support this resolution and forward it on to the council so that we can move forward at our next council meeting and, and uh, get our negotiating team to work um, to try to uh, negotiate a deal that, that um, uh, you know, will allow the JDS Development LLC team to uh, um, 
present, I think, what will be a, a um, monumental development for downtown Madison. Thank you. Thank you. Further discussion on the question? Alderman DeMar. Thank you, Mr. Mayor. I, too, am excited about the potential of a major employer moving downtown Madison. I, I think it could be really great for the city. And I also acknowledge that there are special considerations and issues that may come with that that we right now don't have, um, like congestion, maybe needs for alternate forms of transportation. Maybe there's a parking lot that's down on East Washington or West Washington or some someplace outside of the city square. Um, just logistics with the other businesses that would be located there. Um, how will that work? And what will? And I know this is getting into some details, but if we're moving forward with negotiations, I think some of these things need to be considered. And I'm hoping that we will not only have the proposal and negotiations on the proposal, but other items worked on at the same time that can be reported back to us. Thank you. Thank you. Further discussion? Alderman Aarons? Um, I agree in part with the comments made by Alder Revere and I think just the general tenor of discussion about exact science and, um, and just the overall project. Uh, but I think it's important for us to keep our heads about this and to um, recognize that this is, would be a great addition to the city, but I think we have to maintain our notion of it. At what price do we pay for that? Um, I fear that the uh, the proposal is, uh, of course, well cognizant of the, the prize that is being sort of dangled before us in terms of this uh, major employer uh, for downtown. And based on that is, you know, stuffing the project full of uh, other costs, which um, in the paper is estimated as high as $65 million, but I think at further examination may be substantially higher than that. So I think that while we have to appreciate what the, what the benefits of it are, we also have to keep close mark on both what our commitments were in the RFP and if that needs to be changed, to be very mindful of what the costs are going to be uh, that we're going to put across here and not get steamrolled into a position uh, that we might later regret. Alderman Cheeks, did you wish to speak? Mm -hmm. um, I wanted to acknowledge the wisdom of the council and of the team that crafted this RFP for um, creating a, a proposal that was open-ended enough and flexible enough to uh, invite such a, as, as has been described, game-changing proposal. I think that we should be proud of ourselves for that. Um, I also appreciate the clarification that uh, this decision tonight doesn't close off our opportunity to negotiate um, with the best interests of the city in mind and uh, doesn't close off the opportunity for us to consider other proposals if, if we can't reach terms that, that make sense for our constituents. Um, so uh, I, I really appreciate the efforts of the of, of all of everyone who responded to this RFP and, and I um, 
I'm glad to, to know for certain that we're not making a decision here today that uh, that immediately nullifies any opportunity to uh, to respect all, all proposals. Alderman Rommel. Thank you. I, I will be supporting this, but I like some of the other comments. One is to make sure that the hotel, which is, drive, is the original driver, the parking lot and the hotel, we're how we started with this. So I think that's still something we need to um, keep in mind and not lose track of in, in spite of, you know, very exciting new development of uh, this employer coming downtown. And um, so uh, hopefully by the June 29th meeting, maybe you can tell me if that's wrong, Mr. Schmidicke, we can know more about some of the costs that Ms. Alder Aaron talked about, about potential subsidies, parking, which Alder Dunmar mentioned, and the hotel, so that we have kind of a full picture and not just get all excited about, you know, the new employer. That is the goal over the next uh, six weeks is to get all of that information. Further discussion? Uh, Alderman Clare? I actually just have a point of clarification. There are a number of components in the JDS proposal that are intended to be publicly funded and or constructed. Um, and I'm wondering if the Board of Estimates needs to give direction to the negotiating team as to which of those we are most interested in and to what extent, or um, do you feel like, and maybe that's a question for George, do you feel like you have enough information to move forward with that? Or is that something that, that will come back to the board with options potentially uh, as you start the negotiations? My, my response to the question is we probably are in a position at this point of being uh, having that debate and that direction in somewhat of a void because we haven't dug into the details enough to be able to have a back and forth about relative costs and then the priorities. I would think that to the extent they present themselves in a way that we need to have those choices made, June 8th we would try to be in a position to present that. Okay, thank you. Further discussion on the question then, which is adoption? Um, if there's any objection, I'd like to just say a few words. Um, if we go back decades, even a century, uh, Madison, Wisconsin, basically tracked its development along with a number of other cities that were capital cities and the homes of the major state university. Uh, Austin, Texas, Lincoln, Nebraska, Columbus, Ohio, uh, and others. Since World War II, there's been significant separation by Austin, Texas, and Columbus, Ohio in regards to what has evolved in those cities to the point where, for example, Columbus, Ohio is now the largest city in that state, surpassing Cincinnati and uh, Cleveland, which you usually measure in terms of professional baseball and football teams, uh, at least as one, one, one marker. Columbus has hockey. Um, Anyway, um, as Madison's evolved, we were slower than, than other cities at getting to a point of getting greater reliance on the private sector in our economy. Um, it wasn't until really the 80s that, that we started seeing significant changes 
And if you looked at the ten largest employers in the city after World War II, the mix was pretty much dominated by the public sector, education, and hospitals. It's very clear in the last half dozen years that the reliance on the public sector cannot drive the city's economy, especially if we're going to have an inclusive economy. The uh, story of St. Paul and Madison, another capital city, um, in terms of their respective dominant insurance companies, is noteworthy. Because at the same time that American Family, which we were fighting desperately to keep here in Madison, uh, located in the park where they're now situated, a similar size insurance company in St. Paul, the St. Paul Company, was building an office building for the same capacity in the downtown of that city. I've often wondered what would happen for Madison if we had uh, a significant new private sector employer. And we've got some tremendous challenges in looking at this project in the next several months. We have to stay faithful to our mission in regards to a hotel. We have to stay faithful to our mission in regards to the impact in terms of the larger tax base. But we also have to recognize all of the externalities and challenges, and I say that in a positive way, that this project brings to, to the city. Um, it's going to afford a very different modal mix as opposed to if it was built in a cornfield in Middleton. It's going to pose a very different impact than anything we've ever seen, including what's usually the marker uh, that's been used up until now, which is Virex. Because when Virex was built in 1970 on Gilman Street, it did not, and to this day that building does not have the impact of inspiring and generating other investment, other jobs, within the downtown. This project will have an effect minimally to Blair Street and to Regent Street and everything in between. It's not going to make up for the loss of Epic to Verona, but it's not going to create the problems that that move created not just for Madison, but for Dane County. It's going to be a very interesting three months as we work on this project and try to bring it to a successful conclusion. But there's been a couple of 100-year decisions uh, in Madison in the last couple of centuries. The establishment of the city as the state capital and university the move of MATC to Truax, the move of, of uh, Epic to Verona with its principal offices, and this project, uh, which is going to have a far more positive impact 
than anything we've seen in the last 150 years. So I don't think there's going to be easy answers. I can't provide comfort that at subsequent Board of Estimates and uh, and uh, City Council meetings that we will have everything neatly uh, arranged. But uh, someone once said, make no small plans. And they must have been thinking at this moment. So... That's all I have to say about that. Uh, further discussion? Seeing none on the question, which is adoption. All those in favor, aye. 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 Opposed, no. Motion carries. Alderman DeMarb? Move to Is there a second? Second. So all those in favor, aye. Aye. Opposed, no. There's no one against it, so we're adjourned. Thank you. <laughs>